0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Fresh Life Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and listening. We are so appreciative of all of our listeners, all of our Fresh Lifers, and everybody who's on the journey to live the best version of themselves. We have a special treat for you today. Chris interviewed the legendary Jay Morrison, and they had a candid conversation about relationships, about the black community, and of course, finances. So yes, we are all on a journey to live the best version of ourselves, and that includes our money too wouldn't you agree so sit back and listen and enjoy this candid conversation that my hubby had with jay morrison
1: Um, i want to just introduce you know my audience to you know such an amazing man that somebody that you know i've had a a chance to watch from afar um you know he's down there in atlanta which you know i coin and many others have coined the black mecca uh he's down there doing something that i think all of us should be involved in um, People call him J. Mr. Real Estate. I like to call him J. Tycoon Morrison. Um, you know, but because before he was successful at real estate and he was a successful educator and a successful speaker, um, he was a street entrepreneur. Um, he was a high school dropout. Uh, but now he's made millions in real estate. He manages millions. He's an inspiration to the youth. Um, he runs an entire academy, the J. Morrison Academy. And even y'all, he's doing black, he's bringing black Wall Street back to life. So I just want to welcome to the show, um, Jay Morrison. Welcome, King.
2: Oh, thank you, Kings. Thanks so much for having me and and such warm and elegant words. Uh, I certainly appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. So, Jay, I wanted to kind of start near the beginning. Uh, Many may know, you know, from previous interviews, you know, of your story of hustling and, uh, you know, in the streets, you know, before the real estate success. But what was the spark behind that transition? Because it wasn't like real estate was new to the world. Like what made you say I'm leaving the hustling element and doing real estate now?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. It boils down to self-reflection and the opportunity cost of crime, I call it. So at 25 years old, I had already 10 years in street entrepreneurship mm-hmm. and the street pharmaceutical industry. And that 10-year period of hustling and trafficking and gun-toting and organizing, um, criminal activities that landed me two and a half years in prison and landed me three felonies mm. it landed me close calls with the federal and other government agencies mm. and at 25 years old i had to look at what was my likelihood of surviving my business model and mm. what i had committed to What was my likelihood of surviving that by the time I was 30, right? So I was approaching 25 years old at the time. My daughter, who was born uh, when I was 18 years old in prison, was approaching seven years old. And I'm like, I'm not really being who I want to be for her. Yeah. Um, although it, was, it would provide for her, you know, some bracelets and some Jordans and some cool ghetto things. Right, right, right. right. Um, you know, who was I really being that she could be proud of? And I had to ask myself, do I think that I was going to survive? At that time, I was hustling in the streets of North New Jersey. But I think I was going to survive the south side of North New Jersey um, the next five years or wherever else my hustle might take me. But i be able to survive that and, and be either – um, alive still or not in prison and I, I only could picture myself dead or in jail but I literally didn't even have a success route for myself Wow! And so that's what prompted me is, is as a drug dealer at the time and a street dude um, you know sometimes you gas yourself up you hype yourself up you believe you're going to be this kingpin you're going to beat the odds you're going to you know sail off until the sunset yeah. and I no longer could even fantasize that success and so i knew i had to do something different with my hustle my energy and my ambition my swag and everything else and i had been introduced to real estate while on parole but i never gave it 100 percent attention and energy and so that day i challenged myself i said you know a drug dealer can sell drugs um but a true hustler can hustle anything and so i challenged myself to be a true hustler and i said "If if if i really could get money I should be able to go into the real estate industry, the mortgage industry, um, and apply the same level of focus, the same level of, of grind and, and business acumen. I should be able to do that and still succeed. And, um, I challenged myself. It was a rough first year. It was a tough journey. It was not like this instant overnight success. Um, but I did grind it out and I did within the first three years to my first million in the industry and begin to build, um, this enterprise and this national brand see what's dope about like
1: even just listening to that is You know, many of us who are in our 20s, as you venture into your 30s, like there's some like there's a paradigm shift. There's a mindset shift that hopefully many of us go through, but many of us kind of miss it. And so we we miss those experiences we had and we don't take them into a winning opportunity. We just kind of keep going in circles a lot of the times. But what did illegal hustling prepare your mind for in the legal hustling world?
2: Well, I think my ability to assess and manage risk is probably one of the strongest things that I took from my former life into this new life. The last 15 years yeah. is in real estate and in business for the average person who you know grew up in a you know uh, I don't even want to say because it's not about middle class or lower class. You can grow up in any class and still hit the streets. Yes, sir. But for someone who who. Um, never was familiar with with street or illegal activity, right? Your your reality of risk is different than someone that grew up, right, uh, on the corner or in prison or or, or trafficking or hustling. Mm-hmm. So when I got into business, and the only consequence to me. Say losing in a business transaction or real estate transaction was the fact that I may lose a little bit of money, my credit might get dinged up, or you know, yeah. folks might send you a foreclosure notice in the mail. <laughs> I was like, you know, right. wait, you know, so I got an eight hundred thousand dollar loan, and if I don't pay you, I get a letter in the mail,
1: right? Nobody at your like, doorstep, right?
2: Right, right, that's, <laughs> that, that's different, that's different than somebody, you know. You know, consigning you a pack, you know what I'm saying, or or a load, and and you got some folks you really got to pay back, or you got the you got the local authorities, or or, you know, on on your tail, and you're looking at, you know, my first time being incarcerated and being arrested, I was looking at three years to life in prison. Mm. My second time being arrested, I was looking at 15 years in prison. Mm. So one action, one business decision, could cost me 15 years of my life.
1: Not fifteen thousand
2: right so i got to business and it's like wait my freedom's not at risk and my life is not at risk so you're telling me i get to make all these moves i get to be innovative i get to be aggressive i get to be you know i get to hustle and all this and these consequences are so light and so that would that, that allowed me to really just it was it was it was it was a playground for me. It was like these aren't even real risks; these aren't even real consequences, um, you know, compared to what I've been looking at since I was fifteen years old. So that was one, and, and then two, just my my former just really prepared me from how to position myself in a business environment. Like you know, in the streets, if you're going to be successful, you got to position yourself as well. Yeah. You know, if you're if you're if you're a lame in your community, it's going to be hard for you to effectively make money in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. Well, a business, if you are ignorant or a lame in business, it's going to be hard for you to be effective and make money in a business environment as well. So I took the same principles and just had to apply them in a different arena and around a different culture, different environment. Um, And there's so many other tips I could give you, but those are just two that stick out, you know, off the top.
1: It's crazy, crazy man. I want to get into some of this king talk too, um, because you know that's that's really man, like what's at the heart of where I am. I'm 34 years old. Um, you know, and I got two boys, and so I'm training them to do the hard things, you know, in life, and Mm -hmm. we have a saying, that's our saying in our house, is that we do the hard things, which implies, like, we take on the hard challenges that we don't necessarily...
2: I'm I'm writing that down on my whiteboard right now, and and I'm going to borrow that as well. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's a a very simple way to put it. Yes, sir. I'm sorry. No, you're good, you're good. So, I mean, yeah,
1: we don't it's like, you know, we we don't necessarily do the things that we want to do, but We don't necessarily always want to do those things, but we know we got to do them to live out the highest version of ourselves. So talk about why you feel it's important to do the hard things while obtaining and building and striving towards wealth. And what are the hard things you are still doing today?
2: Absolutely. You know, my mom had a quote that she said, men do what they have to do. Boys do what they want to do. Yes, sir he drilled that into me through all my teenage years and that I think is what you're saying to your boys Mm -hmm. and what makes a real man or a woman is accepting the fact that you're not going to always do what you want to do like that's some boyish childish types of things right right? just do what you feel like that's what a baby does what they feel like doing Right. No consequence. The toddler does that. Yeah. It's about being, you know, mature and doing the things you have to do, the hard work. So I love that. And for me, it's like I understand that part of my obligation is not just to myself and it's not just to my wife and my two daughters or my siblings and immediate family. But I also have a village family, a tribal family, a community family in which I have a duty to in which I serve as well. And so, and, and and that's where it gets hard, right? Mm-hmm. It's easy to detach and say my only responsibility and focus is myself, and those are my last name.
1: That's mm. the easy work. Yes, the selfish work. The hard
2: work. work is associating yourself to a larger community who you have less control over, but are still obligated to. Mm. And so, the hard work is how do I offer to the best of my ability within my capacity we all have different capacities financial mm-hmm. time resource energy and etc mm-hmm. but how do i to the best of my capacity still provide for myself and my family which is my first immediate obligation but do not detach or separate myself from my obligation to my community yeah. and that's all part of the hard work especially being a black man in america is yeah. adopting the duty to take care of the village and what Malcolm X called, in which what I talk about, my book, The Solution, my best selling book, The Solution, How Africans in America Achieve Unity, Justice and Repair. Yes, Malcolm X said, how do we solve or what we're facing is anyway, um, at political oppression, economic exploitation, and social degradation. And I agree to that diagnosis he gave us. And so part of the hard work for me was having been having felt conviction of Malcolm's diagnosis of our community and Malcolm not being here, but me being here, Mm -hmm. what am I doing to help create an antidote to Malcolm's diagnosis he gave us over 50 years ago? How am I helping to solve something that's still happening in our community today? Or do I easily ignore it, which is the easy work to ignore it, or do I challenge myself to put my critical thinking and solution hat on to be able to solve um, and and create antidotes for those diagnoses. So are you?
1: So there's a there's a guy. Let me. I'm gonna say this to you. There's a guy. I'm not sure if you ever heard of him. His name is Dr. Naim Akbar. Man, like if you can get a chance to watch anything on YouTube of this guy or read his okay. books, he wrote a book called "The Visions for Black Men." Then um, he has a quote, and man, that, what you just said stuck out to me. He said, "Males are only capable of sightseeing. As reality moves by, they observe it from a distance, with a hand extended and hoping for a handout. Boys dream and wonder, building unreal worlds in their minds. Only men have visions, and visions become the instrument of human collective societal transformation." is that is that somewhat the difference of what we're seeing in the community is that we haven't seen a full transformation from the from the boy to the man
2: yeah i think that the man's man as one used to call it that has become a dying breed right and the man that was willing to act on a vision, who was willing to take on the hard work, who was willing to accept his duty and his responsibility, right, for for others and for his community and to be the protector and provider of not just his household, but his village. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think that we're seeing is I think that through the crack epidemic, through the war on drugs, through uh, Jim Crow and the school of prison pipeline and all these political and societal oppressions and tactics, they were able to take the alpha, many of the alpha and man's men or alpha males or, or, or proactive visionary males, uh, the warriors yeah. of our community, they were able to incarcerate or murder or to, um, you know, demasculate many of those men. And so what we're seeing is, especially within the black community, the African community in America, Um, What we're seeing is a society that has less and less, and even some of the men that still have that in them, they have seen the consequences of being that kind of man. Wow. And so many of us have, it's been scared out of us. You don't know how many times I hear that, hey, you better be careful doing all that proactive stuff. You better be careful organizing people. You better be careful speaking like that. You better be careful, right? And so we, we, we see so much of that, and that's again, that's all part of political oppression. Oppression is a burdensome treatment mm-hmm. by, uh, uh, in a society of a people by a system. Yes, sir. And so that burdensome treatment has created a level of fear within many in our community. So many uh, of even the man's men and the alpha males and the warriors are like, you know what? It's a lot easier for me to get my bag and take my old warrior ass over uh, here and get this money and not focus on a larger task that could cost me um, everything that I built or even cost my life or my freedom. So
1: um, a few years ago, you know, we talk about, you know, empowering ourselves with from within. A few years ago, I stopped saying the N-word. Um, you know, just, I just, I, I kind of looked around me and just, just seeing like I, I'm, I'm more intelligent. My vernacular, my lexicon is a little bit more diverse. I don't have to kind of go down that road, you know, to continue to say, you know, this, this word used by, you know, oppressors. And so I started saying, I this is like before I actually heard you say it, and you have probably been saying it longer than me. Cause I looked at some interviews and you've been using this word for a while. When I started using King and I would use it with men, I would see like their eyes would light up, like their spirit would become uplifted, Mm -hmm. you know, when you address them that way. So, however, there's like many influential people that we love, like guys like, you know, Jay-Z. He's been in interviews multiple times where he's defended the word and said, you know, we're taking the power back. Can you speak on that? Uh, I quite honestly, in
2: all respect to to Hove and others, uh who we love and respect in our community, Mm -hmm. um, I really think it's a lazy way out. It's the easy way out. It ain't the hard work. Mm -hmm. It's easier to come up with a way to excuse nigga Mm-hmm. Um, to call it niggas and say it's an Ethiopian word. And, you know, most of us do not come from Ethiopia. What's <laughs> that? <laughs> right. right. It's easy to say, hey, it's our creative right to do so. It's easy to come up with all these ways and reasons and justifications for using our former slave masters' description of us. Um, a word that we know is degrading, a word that we know most of our grandmothers and grandparents didn't want us using, right? A word that we know we wouldn't use in church. Right? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> a word that we know we want to hear. not want to hear our daughter actually using, right? You don't want your daughter really, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir. Nine out of ten people really think about it like you will not want your three-year-old daughter running around like, hey, nigga, like, you know what I'm saying? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. There's a reason for that. Right? It, it's, a, it's a lower, it was a lower frequency now, no matter how you look at it. It does not elevate us. That, that's, that's the easiest answer is to say. If you have all your excuses why you shouldn't use the N-word, my thing to simply say to you is does that, even trying to quote-unquote take the power back, does that word elevate us? Does it intentionally solve our social degradation? Mm. And when you think about it, what word has been used most to socially degrade? us, mm-hmm. as men. Speak on it. And then I use that for queens, and I say for our women. If you think about what word has been used most to intentionally degrade it. That's, that's really my new easy answer, is throughout society, what word has been used most to intentionally degrade black men and black people?
1: I'm writing that down.
2: And then, we all know the answer to that. We know it's an, Because if you didn't have a problem with it, you wouldn't have a problem if Trump went up and said it, or when his supporters went up and said it. Mm. So that word's been used to most degrade us. Why would we want to have been adopted to try to turn the power off or uh, uh, turn the power around on it? Why turn the power off?
1: And we've not we've not done that for any other word, by the way. We have what? We haven't done that for any other word that is negative. We don't try. Nobody tries to go around and saying you know like dumb, like you know like I've never seen somebody try to turn the word dumb around and make it a positive.
2: Right. But like, like you it's th- just like like we don't fight for it, right? We might use it in a sometimes, like oh man, that was dumb fat, right? Whatever. Yeah. But but we're not going around fighting for it. It's like okay, we can get rid of it, no big deal. <laughs> but like we're literally addicted to the word, to the N word. Yeah. We're addicted. We're asphyxiated with it, bro. Like our, our But it speaks to our trauma and our psyche. Like you would think that no one would have a problem just getting rid of. It. Like you're like you know what? All right, cool. Like what's the big deal? Like all right, yeah. cool. Like. It
1: should be an easy conversation.
2: Yeah, it's and that, that show. shows, you, shows you the trauma that
1: we're dealing with, to be honest. Um, so I want to switch gears because I, I do have, you know, I, you got to kind of put the cookies on the top shelf and the bottom shelf. So here's the cookie, somewhat on the bottom shelf for some people listening. Um, and I want to ask this question because you're a recently married man. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been I've been married now, uh, going on nine years. And so when I see, uh, first off, congratulations to you. Um, Thank you. What has been the difference in being, you know, in you know, being married in your business versus when you were single? Uh,
2: the biggest difference in being married in handling business and operating a business and being single, um, there's, a, there's a pro and a cons. So I'll give both sides of the coin, as you said, cookie on top and bottom. Mm-hmm. So, the cookie on top, or the other pro is, you literally have a legacy partner and a life partner. Someone you know, you have the most vested interest in the success of you in the business because obviously it benefits them also just as much. And they probably love you and care about you and support you. But again, they're your legacy partner, right? Like what you build will impact them and your future generations. So that's a great part. Like you know, you got you know a cornerstone yeah. and a rock. Um, hopefully, you do anyway. Hopefully. And the con kind or of cookie on the bottom is, you know, as a single man. You and it all depends on your relationship, but you know, as a single man, you do not have at least the. Even if your wife is very flexible, uh, and understands your business and you as an entrepreneur, she's still going to want some time with you. Absolutely. And she's, she's and depending how you know outspoken and strong your woman is, she's going to be vocal about that time with yes. you and hold you accountable to that time yes, she will. that she wants with, with you. Um, whereas a single man, you, or at least the way I moved as a single man, I was in control of all of my time. And uh, the time that I dedicated or allotted to women was all a luxury. Yeah. It was not a, a mandate. It yeah. was not an expectation. Yeah. Yeah. And so the expectation of my time has probably been one of the um, you know more challenging things, or just uh, something that is different from my bachelor entrepreneur days. <laughs> Jay, just be Jay, just be real. Things
1: have changed. Um, <laughs> they, they have changed. <laughs> things have changed, right? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, business is business. You know, like you said, but. There is that time where it's like, okay, you know, I need you to get off the phone. I need you to, you know, come away from the computer, you know, and and to spend that quality, that, that QT, because although I know what I married into, I still wanted, I still wanted that partnership to grow on the love side too. Um, but do you? But would you say that? Would you say that she's added value to the business?
2: Oh, for sure, a thousand percent. Mm-hmm. I mean, my, my wife has uh, been an amazing business partner and has added uh, tons of value. I mean, un- unquantifiable value to uh, my you know business career, professional life, and, and what, we're, what we're growing into.
0: Hey everybody, pardon this brief interruption, but I want to let you know that the Fresh Life journals are here. Yes, they are ready to be pre-ordered. All you have to do is head over to thefreshlifebrand.com to place your pre-order today guys have heard us talk about this for months now. We have always said these things. What are your wins for the day? What hard thing are you going to do today? What are you grateful for? Chris and I have been asking each other those questions for years now and we finally put them into a journal. Set the tone for your day. What goals do you want to accomplish? How will you take care of yourself? Did you also know that the more in tune you are with how you feel in the morning and if you can elevate your way of feeling and do some things that make you feel more invigorated, give yourself more energy you're more than likely to have a better and more productive day yes it's all in the fresh life productivity journal so head over to the freshlifebrand.com to place your pre-order today
1: so here you are young guy you've been you know getting money both ways um you know for the for the probably, you know more than half of your life would you say in a very succinct way that is money easy to get Yes. Because it seems hard to a lot of people, Jay.
2: Yeah, they, they, they have strategy problems.
1: Okay, what's the number one strategy problem?
2: Being uninformed, okay. honestly. Um, once you are informed on ways in which you can create revenue and money for yourself, I mean, the rest then is about your level of de- dedication your level of hustle, persistence, ambition, assertiveness. It's all intangible skills at that point. Yeah. But it's all about how can I get money, right? So, like at 15, I was informed, right? Because of my cousins, because of my family members who are all on the streets. I was an exposed, so underinformed, and underexposed. So at 15, I was informed and exposed about how the Cook game worked and the crack game worked yeah. in my community, right? I knew that grams were going for a hundred dollars a gram. You can get, you know, you can buy them in New York for $20 a gram. You can five times your money, or you could get a wholesale in a local town for $50 and double your money. And you could break them down a point to two twenties twenties went for two for 35, three for 50 and four for 70 or six for a hundred. And I understood how the, how the business worked, Right. So I was informed. Um, as we transition out of uh, street entrepreneurship and getting to traditional or or conventional entrepreneurship, especially when it comes to real estate, there I'm doing a webinar on this um, five no money down real estate strategies. Mm-hmm. Whether you have credit or not, doesn't make a difference in, in, in most of the cases, but. What it comes down to why people can't create money for themselves in business or find business funding or, you know, flip a house or get rental income or wholesale real estate or development or subdivision or buy an apartment building. You're just under exposed and under informed. Big t- big t- it's happening all around you all day, every day. Look outside. Like people say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm not really in, I, I'm not in real estate or I haven't been in real estate. Yes, you have.
1: You're yes. born in real estate. Yes, sir.
2: Like, your kids go to school in real estate. You go worship on mosque, temple, at church in real estate. Like, you go to the club, you're running out of section. That's real estate. You go to the, the local restaurant, that's real estate. The hospital, that's real estate. No matter where you go, it's real estate. So you've been in real estate, you've been on the wrong side of the coin. But the, and that's, again, about a lack of exposure and a lack of understanding. And so once you get the understanding and exposure and you get the strategy, you realize that you can, can constantly, this opportunity all around you, you're just not exposed to it or exposed to how you take advantage of it. And so once you get that understanding and have been exposed, life gets a little bit easier.
1: And so what I want to do is I, I, I want to give you, because your knowledge about real estate is, is, is just, I mean, you're, you're a well, you're a deeply dug well. When it comes to just financial education, period, and so I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how, even with a small, you know, amount of money to invest, that, well, first off, the you know Black Wall Street, you know, was it's something I read about almost ten years ago. Just the history of it, and it impacted me like greatly because it was the first time that i seen this dominance and brilliance turn into a negative situation. Um, turn from a negative situation to a, a financial positive for our people, only for it, of course, to be burned down and crushed and, you know, and all that sort of jazz. But now you're doing the of Real Estate Fund. So, tell us a bit about that and how people can flip the money that they have. They may not have 15000 20000 to go buy some property or, you know, a bunch of money to put in stocks, but can they get involved with what you're doing to kind of turn their life around a little bit?
2: Yeah, so what we've created is an economic vehicle for group or cooperative economics that has minimum investments of $500. It's not a donation, GoFundMe, or collection plate. It is an investment that gives you equity in our company, and that um, allows you to receive 8% preferred returns and 50% of your share of our profits, right? So Mm -hmm. we've been able to... um, offer shares of our company to the public and raise millions of dollars. And We're deploying and investing those millions of dollars into real estate partnerships and assets all over the country. And it just gives those who want to passively invest in real estate or who don't have a substantial amount to invest, it gives those non-accredited or accredited investors a chance to invest and leverage our relationships, our resources, our experiences um, in order to build a portfolio. It's not a quick flip these are longer term investments, but this is something where literally you can invest as little as $500 own your shares in our portfolio and literally be able to go home to your family, look yourself in the mirror, um, et cetera, and say, Hey, I own real estate assets. I own my share of a 30,000 uh, square foot office building. I own my share of a mortgage note on a 14 unit apartment complex. I own my share of these fix and flips. Right, Mm -hmm. Just for a $500 investment, you can, again, begin to be an owner. So you own a piece of the business, you own a piece of the portfolio in the business, and you receive um, the returns that we're offering upon profitability.
1: And I think more than anything, I think a person then is deciding to use their money differently than being a consumer, maybe for the first time in their life.
2: Correct. Yeah. I mean, many of us, again, it boils down to what I call the opportunity cost of money. So you got to say, okay, you have, many of us have 500, 1,000, 5,000 sitting in an account right now that is getting us Mm 0.001% or, you know, 0.1% or 2% or whatever the case is. And we're not allowing our money to work for us in the most effective way. Um, That's where we're offering opportunities for different avenues for your money to to, to work for you. Um, Our fund is not at this moment, I don't know when when this is going to air, um, Our subscription is not open at this moment, but will be soon, we anticipate. And so you guys who want to get on a waiting list to be an investment partner with us can go to Tulsa, T-U-L-S-A, realestatefund.com to get on a waiting list. Or for those of you who have real estate investment opportunities in your community and you want a capital partner, you want 100% funding opportunities um, go to TulsaRealEstateFund.com, submit your deal or real estate opportunity, and we're all about being a funding source for the urban community owned by the people.
1: Wow, that's amazing, man. That is something now that's amazing, the fact that you guys are even a funding source because many, you know, I mean, the statistics show that it's very hard for uh, African-Americans to get, you know, a lot of that funding and find those, you know, lenders and hard money lenders uh, the way that other communities can. So, man, that's, that's awesome. Um, thank you so much I want to say one last thing and one last, one last question for you because I think I want the audience to figure out what separates the good from the great if you had to compare yourself to a man or woman making 50000 a year working 40 hours a week what would you say is the difference in your behavior or mindset versus theirs? Mm,
2: that's a great thing uh, I think that the difference is One of the big differences is in the belief in possibilities, right? So I believe in what my wife calls the possibility of possibilities. I don't have a ceiling or a cap, right? I I have no college education. I'm in a former 11th grade high school dropout. I, again, served two and a half years in prison, three-time felon. People said I could never get into real estate with felonies. I only did I get into real estate and manage mortgage branches, become a realtor, celebrity realtor, wow. works from the top real estate firms in the world, uh, real estate expert for T, uh, NBC's Today Show, uh, two-time uh, real estate author, three-time author in general, and now the first, uh, the manager of the founder of the first black-owned real estate crowdfunding history of the country. All that from those immeasurable odds, I believe in the possibility of possibilities, mm. where the average person working a 40-hour-a-week job that gets 50 grand a year has told themselves no about their visions, about their dreams, and has constantly submitted to the why I can't. Mm. And I always say, how can I? That's the biggest difference, is I don't. Except the I can't, I always say, well, how can I? Even from a community perspective, I don't say that we can't unify. I say, how do we unify? What does that look like? It looks like a plebiscite, a public vote, a black vote day. I don't say that we can't elevate our social degradation. I say, how can we? Mm -hmm. That's simply by adopting words like kings and queens, et cetera, right? And so no matter what the complexity or obstacle in front of me, I just don't submit to a I can't mentality. I just go into a how can I, and I'm resilient and persistent and innovative enough to figure out the how can I strategy
1: man you are a powerful brother and i am just thankful thank so much, man. man uh you know i'm thankful king that i had the opportunity to talk to you and that my audience gets a chance to listen to you they they gotta make a light a movie out of your life man like they they gotta do it
2: if they don't i will so
1: they ain't got nothing <laughs> yo yo so listen ladies and gentlemen jay morrison thank you brother for coming on We appreciate you man
2: thank you so much King.